I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chits, but. <laughs> Alright. Hello, and welcome to episode 371 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary. Proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor coming to you from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. All right, got a big show, our season 17 finale, a preview of CancerCon in Denver coming up this April. CancerCon is just ri- literally right around the corner. Joining us to give us a sneak peek as to what's in store are uh, two of our phenomenal CancerCon steering committee members, Chris Stroh, joining us live in studio, and Charlotte Moore calling in from California, and a uh, survivor spotlight on young adult survivor and PhD student Beth Oppenheim, who will be calling in South Africa. I think that's the first for the show. And uh, here we go. Happy holidays. I was going to bring in my jingle bell noises, but I, I couldn't find the sound key for it. Thank we, you for not. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> we have a, a fabulous uh, special in-studio guest, the lovely, talented, fabulous, and, and multi-happy uh, sphere person, Thea Linscott. Hello, hello. You're going to get this for the... Uh, her Royal Chairness, incoming board chairman of uh, Stupid Cancer. Kind of a big deal. It's a long title, it's a, the way you deliver it. Well, Thea, <laughs> period. Done. Done deal. Done. Well, welcome back. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. Kenny, you're still here. Hi. <laughs> uh, Mallory, Hello. Hello. We gave Nolan Sean a break for those of you who routinely uh, chime into the show and uh, uh, waving from the couch. The only uh, bald man equally amazing as uh, me in this room right now is John Sabia, our AV guy who's responsible for all of our video content uh, since we were talking like nine years ago, 2007. 2007. Wow, it's been a long, long time, long time. Uh, enjoying his third kid. Yeah, who's adorable. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you know, um, Chris, you're you're sitting here in the studio. You're going to be on in a little while, but how you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. What a way to jump down the rabbit hole! Your first show, just live in studio here. I know. Just took the subway downtown and yeah, walked in. I mean, hopefully the steering committee's been like you know softening the edges a little bit so you can tolerate what's about to happen. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, did you pre-game with a little you know Keddy schnapps or something? Libation. Yeah. Uh, just a right, just good. a beer. Mm. The fridge is stocked, in case you didn't know. Very nice. I'll have to revisit. No, it's a big deal. It's, it's This is episode 371. My dad was telling me today, like, because I, I was mentioning before the show, that my dad used to be the only live listener. You know, nearly everyone listened on a stream or a podcast, and my dad, when we used to do the show live, would listen live, and he'd always be like the M Quad 46 in the chat room every single day for like seven years. And then he's like, 
I miss the Mondays where I was the only person in the chat room <laughs> listening to the show. So he's finally on the podcast and he loves the show. But he asked me, like, what are you up to? I said, 371 tonight. It's a large number. That's huge. We lose sight of that. It's been like May 28th, 07 was the first show. And it's amazing. I wonder what I jumped on it. <clears throat> Maybe 150. Probably around there. Definitely. Well, was Lisa here? Yes. Yeah, so Lisa was here back in the day with Lisa Bernhardt. Yeah, big deal. Anyway, so, Thea, you are officially the drop-in guest of the evening. What would you like to tell our lovely audience? Well, we were just talking about our resolutions, right? It's the last episode of the season and what 2016 is bringing to everyone. So I personally am going through every change humanly possible, which is super exciting. I can vouch for that, by the way, <laughs> to all of our people out there. Um, and so we were talking about what's your Get Busy Living resolution for 2016. So we should go around the room. How are you going to get busy living, Matt? Oh, God. In 2016. The, these gotcha media questions, I tell you. Um, I'm going to focus more on me next year. And that may sound like completely narcissistic, but I don't really ever take care of myself. Um, and that means being uh, more available to my children, to my wife, um, doing some things that are specifically to help me personally, because we're in such a really blessed place. I never use that word, really. But as an organization, we're in a really good place to grow. And there's stability and there's functionality and and it's it's a good time for me to 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 take a step back, not leadership wise, but personally to reflect on where I can be a better me. Absolutely, the better you are, the better we are. Be your best digital self. Yes, be your best <laughs> digital self. Kenny, how are you getting busy in 2016? Uh, less hard drugs. Good. <laughs> I was gonna go with a liver replacement. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, we're in a blessed place, and I'm gonna take a step back. Forward. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on a second. All the step backing. Uh, that sounds like trouble. Mallory, he just thinks he's funny. For us. So funny. You're that funny, huh? Oh, uh, yes. Well, Kenny's also celebrating a birthday tomorrow, so he's uh, yes. focused on that. 29. Yeah. I'm going to spend next year being, being not 30. 29 forever. Happy birthday, Kenny Kane. That's the best I can do. I got nothing else. I wouldn't expect any. If you could have done less, you would have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could buy the Jewish stuff. Your bar mitzvah. You know, but that's not really the same thing. No. No. No? All right. Well, I try. Mal, 2016. Uh, 2016. I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking a lot, t- spending a little bit more time in my free time focusing on, one, running, because I need to run, uh, and two, music i need to sing like just more of like running and singing in in the time that i am not stupid cancering i think i like it yeah music heals more Hashtag. more more rounded Very cool. there we go oh. i found it what, what is this like the nation of uh, <laughs> any small country 29 kenny this is a big number it is hold I on have... hold on he's drinking on the air Good stuff. Make us. Okay. Well done. Thank I knew you, I could thank find you for that virtual. No, it's a, it's a big, we're very proud of you. It's a big deal. I met you when you were like 18 or something. It was like 22 when I met you. I wasn't even born yet. I know. You were, like, was you were fetal. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were in the. In the in I the, was uh, as big as your tumor when it came out. You were a blastula. You, you were an embryo. Exactly. Yes. My tumor was bigger than an embryo, actually. So there well, you go. I was a big embryo. <laughs> You're welcome. And welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. <laughs> This is happening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, um, Mallory, what's the update on CancerCon? We've got like 100 people registered? Oh. We have almost 90 people registered. Wow. It's pretty exciting. And we have some exhibitors rolling in. So mm-hmm. lots of fun things happening. Yeah. And I, I have a special guest lined up potentially to be um, a plenary. I won't reveal it here, Ooh. but uh, it, it should be pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make, make those general sessions lots of fun. Yep. Exactly. You know you want to come. And so listening on. to everyone's feedback from previous years, all of those things have been implemented for this year's agenda and yeah. all the breakout sessions. So we're catering to our audience incredibly well this year, more right. so than ever before. And again, I, I look at the, we'll talk about the steering committee and the evolution of the steering committee, um, which which I would say is the third Phoenix Rising success model of how to do things wrong the first time and right every time since. But it is emblematic of, of our feedback. We we. Stupid Cancer is a brand built upon the people who needed it. And uh, I like that. Anyway, this is exciting. South Africa calling in. South Africa. That's right. the first time for everything. Should we prank call South Africa? <laughs> the country. Call the, them. the whole country. All right. 
Let's get Beth. Beth Oppenheim lives and works in South Africa and Mozambique with refugees for a humanitarian aid organization. As if that's not enough. She's also a PhD student at the University of Cape Town, originally from New York City. She came across stupid cancer pretty soon after her diagnosis in July of this year, 2015. Joining us right now, live from South Africa, please welcome the future Dr. Beth Oppenheim. Hey, Beth. Hey, how are you? Wow, I, I, we were talking before the show. This is a first. I don't think we have ever done a um, a live international Skype call on the show in in nine years. I'm happy to be the first, and that it hasn't crashed yet. <laughs> well, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to tweet at the CEO to say they made a solid platform or not. We'll figure that out. There you go. So you were uh, you born and raised in New York City? Yes. And then you yes. went way across the pond about as. I- yeah, I did several ponds. <laughs> Indeed, several ponds. Um, were you already over there after your diagnosis, or were you diagnosed there? Um, well, I was. I kind of. I was diagnosed in the U.S. on vacation. I kind of. I literally got cancer while I was on vacation, <laughs> uh, visiting family, um, and received my diagnosis in the U.S. But I was already living here. Okay, so. Were you, first of all, thanks America or thanks Obama or <laughs> getting cancer while on your vacation here. But what were you, did you have any symptoms? What was your actual diagnosis? Um, so I had a lump. I found a lump in my breast about three months before I told anyone about it. Um, but other than that, I didn't have any symptoms. I didn't tell anyone about it here because I was kind of afraid of doing anything here and not wanting to you know, worry and anyone. So I wanted to wait till I got home. Um, and I actually had a series of tests when I got home that were all negative. Um, so I sent my husband back, uh, (laughs) from vacation to come back to work, um, got my lump removed just out of, out of paranoia and, and the fact that I live so far away. Um, and when they removed it, they found that a piece they hadn't biopsied had, was malignant. Do they have a stage or a grade at that time? Um, so it was stage one, thankfully. Yes. Very thankfully. Yeah. So (laughs) extremely. So, so help me understand this then. You you came to the sure. States on vacation. You were diagnosed here, but you were treated in South Africa. Um, actually I was well, it was sort of complicated. I after the after the lumpectomy, um, they sort of did a, a bunch of tests to figure out why, because I didn't have any family history. Um, I wasn't, you know, in a high risk category. Uh, but what they wound up finding out through the weeks of testing was that I carry the the BRCA two gene. Um, so with that diagnosis, uh, they weren't prepared to let me go back. Um, so I opted to have surgery there, um, recover there. And then I came back here in September, uh, when I started, they put me on tamoxifen. Um, so that's the, luckily the only treatment that I've needed to have, but I had the surgeries all in the U S Right, and for those listening, BRCA1 and BRCA2 are uh, tumor suppressor genes that are found in all humans at certain risk factors. And um, they can be responsible for why you get cancer, but they can also be responsible for why you don't get cancer. But what types of genetic counseling did you receive once this all happened? Are you satisfied with the level of, of, um, I guess, intelligence that you had? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I was sort of... um... I think the genetic counselor managed my expectations um, a little bit poorly in the beginning just because she was very confident that I wasn't going to be uh, positive uh, for the mutation. Uh, She, because my mom uh, is fine and my grandmother, my maternal grandmother is fine, um, never had any problems in their lives. So she kind of sold it to me like, oh, I'm going to do this as a formality, um, but it's probably going to be negative. So when it was positive, I was pretty um, surprised and thereafter kind of kind of went um, through all of my options. I think I'm still, because I'm only five months out of my diagnosis, I'm still overwhelmed by the, the choices that I'm going to have to make besides yes. the ones 
that I've already made. Um, and so I think I've had, I've had a mixed bag with genetic counseling. Well, I, you know, you know us, we're all about not being 80 with cancer and what does that mean? So you're talking about decisions that you have to make. Did, mm-hmm. did any of those involve becoming a mom? Indeed. Yeah. So I've, I've, uh, been married for about eight years now and I, we, ha- we don't have kids yet. Um, but then I was sort of told, uh, that I couldn't right now because of the tamoxifen, um, but that once I I was able uh, to have to try and have a kid, they'll like let me come off the drug to try and have a kid. Um, but that then I will need to decide all at once. Sort of, uh, do you want to have more than one? And and maybe you won't be able to do that. And and you have to take out your ovaries by the age of 40, but they recommend, uh, ASAP basically once you're done using them. Uh, so those are all decisions that I still am trying to wrap my head around, I think. Yeah. And again, these are the issues that matter to our generation that make what we are and who we are very different. And I commend you for your, your courage and sharing that it, it, it's too often that these discussions have to happen where they shouldn't have to happen and and i can i can also tell you that i'm part of a um a research arm of the oncofertility universe that's really a word oncofertility and yes. they're working <laughs> yes and they're working on this technology now where it used to be you had to go off your drugs for like three months to stimulate and get follicles and embryos and whatnot they got mm-hmm. it down to 12 days now but it's very expensive and there's no codes for payers. And they're working on a new technology for three years from now where it's going to be a laparoscopic ovarian tissue scrape that gets cryopreserved on the spot. So you can just, you don't have to worry about anything. It just gets done and frozen. And then they wind up like Star Trek re-implanting that frozen cryo ovarian tissue into you later on when you're better. And then they get the follicles from that, which is ridiculous Star Trek stuff. But, yeah, indeed. <laughs> but they're all working on this technology for us, for our generations, that you don't have to go through this. And I'm sorry you are. Yeah. Um, Thank ha- you. I guess we have to ask, you know, caregivers play a huge role in our universe. Mm-hmm. You've been married eight years. How has your husband been uh, handling this? Um, you know, surprisingly really, really well. Um, he he is unfortunate that we had sort of a, a moment where he wasn't there when I received my actual diagnosis. Um, but he was on a a plane the next day. Um, and he's been a really huge support and, and very calming. Um, he is originally from Mozambique and I think that has a lot to do with his ability to kind of just kind of stay calm and not, not get so wrapped up. You know, my, I'm from a neurotic Jewish family and I think, uh, uh, having, having someone there that is a calming presence has been really important. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's really tough and he has a hard time kind of explaining it to other people. I think that's been a really big challenge, but in terms of how he's been for me, it's been great. No, that's really important. I guess I can ask you, I mean, you're, you're relatively like freshman class at this point, but how did you come across stupid cancer? Um, so once I was, uh, once I finally got back, uh, on my feet after my surgery, I realized that. I was about to go back into a world over here where there wasn't many support mechanisms um, for people in my situation. So I wanted to try and find something that I could access uh, online um, and and find a find a support system that way. So that I actually you know, came across it through literally Googling, um, you know, young cancer, young breast cancer, things like that and and came across it that way. Well, we're we're happy you did. We're sorry you need us, but we're happy we're happy <laughs> you found you. us. So, can you tell us about life as a uh, a young cancer survivor in South Africa? Yeah, um, it's a little bit. It's it's great in the sense that. Um, you're you're not I, I, for me. I'm not in the sort of place of of uh, diagnosis, and for me mentally, that's super good. I can be a cancer survivor um, without having the stigma of being around all the people I was with when I was diagnosed um, and was sick. Uh, one of the things that it's like here, though, is that it's super isolating. There's a big stigma attached to breast cancer in particular, and to having a mastectomy. Um, which is what I went through. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of, of people not talking about it. So they know that you've been sick. 
Um, maybe they've heard from someone else, but they will never say to you, like, how's that going? The fact that there's a podcast that talks about this um, is sort of antithetical to that, the environment. Uh, no one really talks about it to me. So that's why I need something from outside. Um, it's, yeah, especially just because of the stigma for breast cancer in particular. No, and that's a fascinating, like, cultural anthropologic insight into maybe what we take for granted here in the States that doesn't really translate over to other cultures around the world quite so similarly. Absolutely. And I think especially the, the idea that a mastectomy and reconstruction is, which which I also did, is something that's okay and needed and um, part of the part of the sort of treatment plan, psychological as well as physical, all of those things. You know, I try to be as open as I can with people um, and, and, you know, I sort of use humor as kind of a way to do that. Um, but all of, all of my friends uh, from the region really have had, have had to confront this um, in a new way that's not comfortable for them. Hi, Beth. This is Thea. I'm one of the volunteers here at Stupid Cancer Hi. and totally happy to have you on the show. And one of the things as I was listening to your story is how is your family handling you being so far away? <laughs> because you said Jewish neurotic mother. I have one of those. I don't I think she'd make me come home. <laughs> how is that working out? <laughs> Um, well, she already did make me come home once. <laughs> I was home. Uh, I was home last month. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's really, really hard. I won't lie. I'm an only child. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty hard for them. Um, my parents, my parents both were sort of my mom's in, in works in oncology. Um, she's been an oncology nurse for my entire life. Wow. So this is something that's very close to her. And it's also like why I got such, you know, the Cadillac of care. She sort of um, was right there. Luckily, she doesn't do breasts. She does, uh, you know, blood cancers. <laughs> I guess luckily it wasn't her area of expertise. But, um, you know, it's very hard for them. I try to call them a little bit more than I used to. Um, I FaceTime them once, once or twice a week. Um, and they're very involved in like making sure that when I need to do follow-ups, you know, I just did my first round of follow-up now um, in November, which was like three months after my surgery, four months after my surgery. And uh, yeah, it's very hard for them, but I think they want me to be in my normal life. Uh, and for right now, this was my normal life. This is what I was doing before. Um, and this is what I needed to get back to doing, but I can hear it in my mom's voice. It's, it's a lot harder than it was well, one of about the, five months ago. I'm sure. Uh, one of the amazing things that stupid cancer has done over the years is connect parents to parents. So please extend oh, an wow. invitation to your family to talk to my family or any of the amazing survivors here. I uh, would be love to make that connection. And sometimes they just need to talk to another parent. And we've seen that happen live at our events as well as sometimes it's just a phone call. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know that. That's great to know. Yeah, and my dad, who's the mayor of Stupid Cancer, um, was 47 when I was given six months to live 20 years ago. That's kind of hmm. 20 years ago. It really is 20, 20 years ago next week. <laughs> Literally 20 years ago next week. Mazel tov. And That's he's great. 69 now, and he's he's become the most active like parent-caregiver contact for hundreds of maybe even thousands at this point of people who just pick. My dad will talk to an inanimate object, but it's really important <laughs> being a Jewish dad. But he, he loves to speak to people, uh, especially those who just need to know that there are other parents out there who've gone through this situation. And, yeah, absolutely. you know, to his credit, he dealt with it as incredibly as anyone could have hoped for when we were cast into this abyss of uncertainty, uh, such when, when, when there was no Internet or phone, you know, phones had cable uh, cords attached to the wall back then. So it was a very yeah, different universe. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> For sure. And I think working in cancer for so long, at least my mom was able to um, understand the diagnosis, which I think probably had pros and cons for her. But, you know, at the time, she was just great at, like, helping me recover and saving my husband from doing all of the, you know, random things you have to do uh, to take care of somebody after a surgery like that. So it was great to have her as the kind of medical professional so we need to have some kind of South Africa stupid cancer thing happen now. <laughs> you do. I, I've I've already kind of talked to Sean about that, about doing a meetup, because I think it would be 
awesome and and really needed really 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 needed well we just launched stupid cancer indonesia on facebook uh there's about 15, really? 15 people in there by demand they were like we want to do this can you do this and we'll see what it works out but maybe we're setting a trend and also you it's, should. A, it's amazing that you want to uh, have that awareness and especially thinking about that cancer label we talk a lot about that when you want the cancer label on and off and if you could support people like you there by identifying and getting together, sometimes that connection can change many people's lives. So kudos to you Absolutely. for telling Thank your you. story, especially in this context. And you can have a link to this and hopefully send it to some of your colleagues and shed a little more light into what the young adult movement's doing. I most definitely will. Kenny would say we're going to stupid cancerify South Africa now. <laughs> <laughs> Help them all. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds good. No, seriously, uh, really epic thanks to you and, and your husband. Very courageous, very inspiring, and very international to come on our <laughs> podcast you. tonight. Uh, can't wait to keep in touch online. Good luck to you, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. The future Dr. Beth Oppenheim, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Kenny. And now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. I am happy and sad to report that there's nothing going on at the moment with the holidays. Well, that's perfectly acceptable that people are enjoying themselves. So we will see you next time around as soon as we get some more meetups. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now on your phone instapeer.org we've launched an industry aggregator on tumblr for all the articles blogs and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media check out we're reading 24 7 and don't miss a beat subscribe over at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed cancer is expensive duh check out cancermademebroke.com you heard that right cancermademebroke.com our national partnership with give forward the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You did not ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. Matthew, I don't know if you know this, but you can support our programs and services by heading over to StupidCancerStore.org. You'll feel great and look great, specifically you, in your new Stupid Cancer he gear. He loves me. That's he loves me. Stupid That's can- love. This is the, the important part. <laughs> That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that, that is, is your stupid, stupid cancer, cancer news. news. Two special people coming on the show now for the next segment from our CancerCon 2016 steering committee. Chris Stroh is a seven-year Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor living in Jersey City. I forgive him for that. Working for a financial services and software company in Midtown Manhattan. Makes up for Jersey. He hasn't. Uh, he's been attending Stupid Cancer's OMG conference since 2013. Really, veteran. Volunteered last year at CancerCon 2015. Currently on the CancerCon 2016 steering committee. Joining him. Charlotte Moore, MPH, uh, Program Manager for Women's Cancer Program at City of Hope, working to both end, uh, working with both breast cancer and gynecologic cancer patients. Charlotte was married for 17 years to her husband, Eric, and was a caregiver to him for 10 years uh, before he sadly passed away in January 2014. Uh, they are proud parents of two very active boys. What a great, diverse group to represent the Yonel Cancer World and all that CancerCon stands for. Please welcome Chris Stroh and Charlotte Moore. Great to be here. Great to be here. We're really excited. It's really exciting to, uh, you know, I, I think we had the steering committee represented last year, but not in such a form. And it's so indicative of how far the event has come and what our brand means to, to actually have a functioning group of amazing people that are so behind the scenes that no one, no, we make it look easy. That's the problem. We make it look too damn easy. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I go back to Kenny's original, Kenny's origin story of how he came in as an intern expecting this massive company, he walks into this tiny black room with no windows and sees me. And that was it. You know, like the man behind the curtain. But, you know, we pull off CancerCon. 
it's a big deal. And we, we lose sight of how big it really is. So I, I want to just start by thanking you um, for being awesome, for committing yourselves to what this is, what this means. And it, it, to me personally, you know, reflecting on 20 years now this month of being diagnosed, we, we are such a pay it forward community. We really are a pay it forward community. We're, we're trying to make it suck for someone like us. Uh, suck, suck less. less. Did I just say that? We're trying, to make, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to make it suck a lot less for someone like us. And we have a way to actually do that. And CancerCon to me is the, if they, if they is nodding on the radio, you know, is, is the consummate end result of what that means. So, um, so Chris, uh, veteran of the OMG Cancer Summit 2013 when, in Vegas. Yes. Was that your very first jump in the pool? It was. That's um, a hell of a jump. And we had a great time. Um, basically, um, I was diagnosed and had cancer back in 2008 and immediately just wanted to forget mm-hmm. that entire part of my life. Yeah. Um, and how, how old were you at the time? I was 23. Okay. Yeah. So basically, um, tried to, I, I tried to just forget about it. Definitely had a lot of survivor guilt going on. Um, I found stupid cancer. And saw that you were doing conferences, you know, all across the country and specifically in Las Vegas. I had never been. I asked my wife if she would or my girlfriend at the time if she'd be interested in going to Las Vegas, sit in on a few sessions, you know, meet other people who had the same experience as me. And it was life changing. Um, I specifically remember um, the Just for Guys in 2013, just being able to talk about my experience and um, everything I was going through, all the guilt, and it absolutely changed my life, and I never wanted the conference to end. Um, so last year, basically decided um, I wanted to contribute. I wanted to give back to the community that gave me my sanity. Um, so my wife and I both volunteered um, at last year's conference, and this year I decided I wanted to get even more involved. So that's a, that's really interesting to me, and I'm, if maybe Thea, again, nodding on the radio, people who just want to put it behind them, but then it comes back in a way, not biologically it comes back, but mentally there comes a point where you can't ignore it or it meant so much that you suppressed it on purpose for all the right reasons, and then you just have this need can you tell us more about those five years between 2008 and 2013? What was you, what were you doing? You were you trying to get your life back together and you were dating and all that? Absolutely. Um, so I wanted the cancer not to be there so much that I actually worked throughout my treatment, um, which my boss thought was absolutely ridiculous. You had um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hodgkin's lymphoma. Stage what? Stage three. Okay. So every other week I would disappear from my group um for treatment and every monday i would come back in and it was awful but in order to keep my sanity it's something i personally needed to do sure um so the next five years i basically tried to drown myself in work in my relationship and move on as a normal 24 year old at the time so in 2008 there was really like kind of nothing out there for young adults so not surprising that you didn't have even some kind of anchor to grab onto when did you first start to realize that there were communities out there and services out there? Um, I guess it, it was a couple of years after my treatment, um, so I can't really pinpoint the date, but stupid cancer was the one that really I was really attracted to because it was focused on young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, from attending the 2013 conference, that's when I, I found out there were so many more, you know, organizations. Out I mean, there. kudos to your wife, but then girlfriend for taking that literal leap to Vegas. Was it like, if it doesn't work out, hey, Vegas? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but one of her best friends lives in L.A., so she actually met us out there. Okay. Um, so while attending the conference um, at night, we grabbed drinks with, you know, uh, her best friend who actually introduced the two of us. You know, oh, wow. Back in the day. Okay, so that's kind of karmic and kismet and whatnot. Absolutely. So what are you most looking forward to for next year? And since you've experienced since since 2013, that's like five events. If I do math right, four events. What are you looking forward to now most 
honestly, every single conference um, is is different in some way, whether it's the sessions or the people you meet, um, the social activities. So I'm honestly just looking forward to giving a little extra this year, being part of the steering committee, um, meeting a whole new generation of people who are attending the the conference for the first time, and really seeing everyone having the same experience that I've had over the last three years. And I have to explain to our listeners, too, about what a commitment the steering committee is and that they start volunteering pretty much as soon as one event is over, the planning for the following year starts. So Chris and Sharla and all these amazing people on the committee are giving up you know, their Tuesday nights and talking to each other and with planning with Allie Ward and the rest of the team. And it really shows how important it is to them to do it because that's why they're volunteering. So it's a coveted, amazing group of people that make an event happen. So uh, a lot of what we do in uh, the Stupid Cancer World focuses on caregivers, and it's often like the underserved part of the conversation where we're so focused on the patient. But now in this age of survivorship where people are living and struggling and fighting to get busy living, caregiving is now in the spotlight. And uh, your late husband was no exception uh, in your your uh, marriage to him, I was hoping you could just briefly share Eric's story with us. Sure. Um, we met when we were 19, at, working at Disneyland, and we're married. Everything is great. Um, he was graduating from law school. I was pregnant with our first child, and he had a lump in his throat um, in his salivary gland that we had a biopsy they said was benign, um, turns out it was misread, and it turns out, surprise, you have cancer. So at the age of 29, you know, here he is going through surgery and radiation and studying for the bar. Um, he was, you know, amazing, of course, and um, he did well for about five years, and then it metastasized to his lungs, and we had a whole other battle. You know, here we are, he's working full-time, we have two kids. Um, you know, and just having to go through it and, um, it was, it was intense and it was, it was a lot of struggling. Um, but you know, he was, he did the best he could and I did the best we could, you know, we were young and, you know, without a lot of support. So we got through somehow and he passed in. January 2014 so and it's still I just that's why I wanted to participate with this group you know I think it's been a great support as a caregiver um, and then to be able to pass that along to other caregivers you know that you're not alone um, you do need to take care of yourself there are people out there who understand you know because friends and family are fantastic but you really want to talk to somebody who's going through it or has been through it. It, you know, it really is a different experience, especially as a young adult going through that. So, I mean, I, I can't help but recognize that you're an MPH, and that puts mm-hmm. you in a very unique crow's nest position to be thrust into the world of caregiving when you are, in a sense, serving that function during your day job. Yeah, it's a little bit of living at home what I do at work. Um, I think it's been phenomenal because not only do I have the support of friends and family, but I also have the support of my work. And Eric, in the last couple of years, was treated at my work at City of Hope, and they were nothing but supportive and fabulous. Um, I think, we, you know, I went back to work full-time. I was, I was only working part-time when Eric, um, before he got really sick at the end. And so when he couldn't work anymore, I went back to work full-time, and... You know, it just happened to be that where I ended up working was a cancer center that um, I think was kind of a blessing for both of us. And I'm still there today, and I just love it because now I get to work with people and I get to do this every day, you know, not only as, you know, in my personal life, but then at work, you know, use my experience to help others and really bring caregiving to the forefront. And remember, you know, it's not... You know, it's a pa- the patient is going through a whole heck of a lot, but so is the whole family, and really supporting everyone at the same time. We have a friend of the organization's who had lost her husband to esophageal cancer and once asked her uh, 
uh, how she feels about the word widow, and she said it makes her want to punch a kitten. Yeah. How do you, you do? You agree with that? I agree. Yeah. It's you know how do you describe yourself? You know, you know you're young, and I was married for a long time, and I still feel married, and yet it's been almost two years. You know, yeah, calling yourself a widow, you don't picture yourself as a young adult as a widow. You picture someone who's you know. 70, 75. Right. And yeah, it kind of makes you want to throat punch somebody. <laughs> I like her. So, I mean, it, it, we have two people on the uh, CancerCon steering committee this year who are, represent the caregiver side of the universe. And I think it's our first, I'll just say, bereaved spouse who's on the committee because that is such an yeah. in, intrinsic like reality of our universe here, being young and, and, and having a loss like that. Um, what do you think you can, or you are, we know you are, there's a loaded question, but how do you feel like you're contributing to the steering committee from that perspective? Um, I think, I, I think I kind of bring twofold to it. I think as a, you know, health professional, I kind of have that aspect of it, but as a bereaved spouse, um, kind of living through that experience and all the different stages of Eric's treatment and, his sickness and kind of, and then as a parent kind of dealing with the grieving and, you know, with grieving children, I think it's just a different perspective. I think I kind of can bring that into everything, um, whether it's a parent who's caregiving for their child or it's a peer who's caregiving with their partner or sibling. Um, just trying to keep that in the back of our minds that we're including them also. And they're also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big trauma for everyone and really trying to keep that in mind. Were you uh, in Denver with us this year? I was. Was that your first experience? It wasn't. I um, started coming in 2010. Oh my goodness. I, was, I know I was coming as a, you know, kind of health professional and it was, it was it, I, it came for these very selfish reasons. I was coming, you know, because I was working for city of hope and I wanted to get more information, but then I was also coming cause you know, here I am a caregiver with the husband at home who's going through this. And so I feel like I benefited from it personally so much more. And it really kind of gave me a voice and realized that I wasn't by myself. And I've been so impressed over the last few years that caregiving has become more and more of a component of these conferences. And that, you know, there's a lot of caregivers out there and seeing them over and over again, it's just been a great support, I think. And so I really want to give back and make that an even bigger network for all those involved. So, Chris, she just OMG shamed you. <laughs> One-upped. Yeah, absolutely. Because Chris only only started coming in uh, 2013, but you've been... 2010, that was the year... What was Which was 20? That was Pace. the... Pa- Pace that was New York. Yeah, Pace University with that big, blue, giant, open... It was. I remember that. Wow. I, c- I, couldn't, gr- I couldn't grow a beard back then. Yeah, Kenny was like 22 <laughs> on the stage. I remember that. Wow. <laughs> Now, you have been through the gauntlet with us. That's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so I've kind of been in the background, but I'm, you know, I've been getting a little bit more and more involved every year. Charlotte, I think one of the great things that's happening this year, too, and you uh, touched on it briefly, is that the all the different roles that CancerCon plays for people. So it's, it's a place to connect with people like you, but also influence others. And you and Dev Sherry have done a really great job of not only being completely honest about your journey and what you're doing, but really focusing on the next you. So I think that's interesting. Uh, what's the ideal situation coming from, and I'll ask this to Chris too, you know, you participating and you volunteering at this, what's the ultimate goal? What's the payback for you guys? I think helping somebody get through the process. Um, you know, did I do everything perfectly and how I would have wanted to do looking back? No. Um, are there things I learned? Absolutely. If I can help someone else while they're on their journey, it's, you know, I just that that kind of makes me feel like I've done something. Absolutely, I totally agree. Um, you know, having people have the same experience I had in the past. You know, the doctors will fix your body, stupid cancer will fix your soul. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're hired. <laughs> someone write that down. Perfectly said. So what are, I want to, we can tie this up. What are some of the caregiver sessions that are actually happening? And are, are they, you know, uh, we evolve every year to be that much more meaningful. What have you been helping to work on content-wise for next year's sessions? So I think what's really exciting caregiving-wise, it's, it, you know, it's just growing every year. Um, one thing that's happening this year is caregiving, the individual sessions are being broken out. 
So there's caregiving as a parent, and then there's caregiving as a peer, because sometimes there's different needs in those groups. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, we've become enough of the population where we're growing, and we're going to really break those out. I think another really exciting thing is we're doing a couples coping with cancer session, which are the, the patient who's dealing with the cancer, but then also their partner, whether it's a romantic partner or their caregiver, and kind of how to interact with each other and how they can help each other and really be there to support and go through the process together. I think that's really exciting, and I'm really you know excited to see what, what comes of it. Can you tell us uh, how old are your boys now? My boys are almost 13 and 9, and 10, sorry. Wow. Almost 13 and 10. Wow, okay. My, my twins are, well, you know this because you've, you've been stalking the conference since 2010. My, my <laughs> I know, kid, and I do stalk you on Instagram, of course. So. My, uh, my kids are five and a half now, and um, I mean, the elephant in the room is how do you talk to your children? This is such a unique young adult concern in cancer that doesn't really apply in nearly the same way. I mean, yeah, my dad was 47 when I was 21. He would have loved to meet another uh, 47-year-old. But when you're when you're in your 20s and 30s, you know, how does that, you know, talk, talking to little children, you know, like that's such a yeah. unique world for us. Um, I, I, I talk to as many, um, you know, like therapists, you know, with my husband, um, passed away at City of Hope, so we were able to work with the social workers and kind of how to talk to them about it. Um, there are resources. There's been great, I think, sessions at different cancer cons, and um, you know, I'm too young for this sessions, where it's talked about parenting with cancer, and I think what comes across it is answering questions as they come up and being as honest as you can. Um, the kids will let you know. It's pretty. It's interesting. The kids will kind of let you know what they're ready for, and you can tell by the questions that they ask. Well, that's amazing insight. It's it's sad to have to have that insight, but clearly, it's insight that a lot of parents with young children may not have. So, yeah. figuring out what that means is so uh, it's so meaningful. Yeah, and it's, and it's a reminder that you know life isn't fair. Of course, I wish Eric was still here. You know, they want their dad, but. There's some things we can't control, and we just have to do the best we can with what we have. So we got about a, maybe two or three minutes left. Um, in terms of where you are in your space right now, you're contributing to like the largest patient conference in the world. And mm-hmm. it's easy to just kind of say those words coming out of your mouth, but how does that how do you tell this to your friends, your colleagues? The world in your you know you, you go home and live your life and do your jobs and, and we, 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 we're stuck here. So to the world outside of stupid cancer, what does it really mean? I'm curious when you talk to others about I'm on the committee to this largest patient conference in the world. Let's start with Chris. Um, I mean, my wife and my friends who know, you know, that I've been attending these events for years. I think they get it. But in terms of my coworkers and, you know, people who aren't as familiar with the organization, I don't think they really wrap can wrap their heads around um what it what it actually means because cancer really never affected them the way it did my family and friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be a loaded question too. To even expect that, Charla, you work in a yeah. hospital. <laughs> Everyone work yeah. in a hospital. Yeah, um, I I think part of what Chris said is r- rings really true. In that, unless you're going through it, you really don't get it, and you can be supportive and there for someone, but until you've kind of been there and done that, I don't think it means as much to someone, you know, to not, to not feel so isolated. You know, I, I think that means a lot when you, you know, when you feel isolated as a young adult and when you, when stupid cancer comes in and you have this, you know, this community supporting you, you know, it's pretty hard to express how amazing that feels. Well, it's it's been such a privilege to have you guys on the show, and I know that the entire month of April we also focus on the content of the of the of the conference and and the talent that's going to be there and and everything that it means. And the road trip will kick off in April, and it's going to be a really big deal. Um, I'm I'm honored to know you. I, I thank you so much. I thank uh, Chris and the entire. How many are there? Twelve people on the steering committee. There are yeah. eight people on the steering committee. How many? Eight. Eight. Yes. All right. So I, I made it a little difficult that there could be 12 <laughs> one day. 
But the eight people on the steering committee make all the difference. The behind the scenes magic. So thank you guys so much. Thank um, you. We're happy. We're thrilled to be on it. Yes, absolutely. All right. So Charlotte Moore, MPH program manager for the Women's Cancers Program at City of Hope. Uh, regrettably lost her husband to cancer in 2014, raising two beautiful young boys. Um, and uh, Chris Stroh, seven-year Hodgkin's survivor. I love the fact that you guys dropped the mic that you've been to OMG, but I'm, I'm sorry, Charlotte has to win. 2010, <laughs> that's, that's like Kenny's first year. That's like the latest okay. test. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for everything. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Oh, it's season 17. How did that happen? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. It's season 18. It's wrapping up. All I know yet. is I'm turning 29 tomorrow. Yes, you are. <laughs> We're very proud of you, Kenny. Which 29 is, uh, forever. Just, just keep shaving it's every the now and then to look younger. Yes. What a year for you, Kenny. Engaged. Last year of your twenties. That's Talk about, about it. how great I am. <laughs> and that cirrhosis <clears throat> kicking in. It's yes. Good stuff. Yes. Wonderful. Well, with that said, uh, let's uh, let's wrap the final show of 2015. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so. To all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 371st episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank my guests from South Africa, Dr. Beth, the future Dr. Beth Oppenheim, and from the CancerCon 2016 Steering Committee, Chris Stroh and Charlotte Moore. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself and my whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you have as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here on Monday, January 25th, when Season 18 resumes on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Happy New Year, folks. Take care. Watching classmates graduate while you're still stuck in a bed up in the hospital. Inpatient.